Hello, friends. Welcome once again to the Perfect Bound Podcast. This is a podcast all about anything and everything comic books and comics related, brought to you by the Panel and Jumper. My name is Ben. With me, as always, is Nicole Lamb. Hello. Chris Casso. Hello. And of course, Cole Hornaday. Hey there. How is everybody this fine evening? Conscious. <laughs> yeah. alive, yes. Cold. It snowed yesterday here in Seattle. That was interesting. After yeah. torrential flooding rains. Yeah. 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 I was uh, going to go, uh, I went grocery shopping in the middle of that, and uh, I had to like take a leap of faith, like an Indiana Jones style, <laughs> uh, to try and get over a couple rivers, and I missed. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, have, I have terrible uh, wet weather shoes, so my, my socks always get soaked. I should really buy another pair of shoes. Um this is, but that that's that's on me. We don't need to discuss my my footwear on the show. Um, sure, we do. It's a fashion time. <laughs> yeah, of uh, uh, foot talk brought to you by the panel jumper and yes, perfect bound the podcast. foot section. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, so it's been a heck of a year, friends. It's good to see you all. We're not in the store. We're uh, in our own homes. And um, there is no store. <laughs> there is no store. And if you want to learn more about that, go back a couple episodes when we talk about the whole thing uh, with Scott. Um, so aside from like normally on our year end on the year end shows, I like to be like, what was the best thing? What was the worst thing? You know, what were your favorite things? Uh, what were the biggest news stories? Well, there is just one big news story this year just kind of affects everything else. So maybe everything we'll talk, we talk about will be connected to that. Maybe not. Um, but let's just get to it. The, uh, I, so I sent out, you know, just a, 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 a bullet point of one thing, um, other than the, uh, the sad things that I sent out, but, um, yeah, there was, of course, aside, along with the pandemic that hit us this year, there was lots of, um, lots of, uh, civil rights protests and one of those, uh, one of the things that come out of that was that Punisher creator Jerry Conway tried to reclaim the Punisher logo by making Black Lives Matter t-shirts. And I believe, Cole, you have one right there. Ah, nice. Yeah, I mean, if you if you don't know, and you probably do, the police like to use the Punisher logo as their own like personal logos, much to the chagrin of Jerry Conway and Marvel. And they've been trying pretty constantly and consistently and- to reclaim it. Should be to the chagrin of everybody because Punisher is not um, a good person. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. And I think yeah. he, there's even like a, a, a in an issue, the Punisher himself sort of like lambasts some cops because they see his symbol on their squad car or something. Yeah. Yeah. Did that? Um, d- did they report any like final numbers um, on how well he did with that? Um, as far as raising funds go, or I don't know. Uh, they, I know they sold out. Cole, do you yeah. have, do you know if they made? Uh, I'd have to. Uh, I can go dig up my notes from the panel jumper episode, uh, the streaming show we did. Um, yeah, they. Uh, there were. I, th- I believe there were two or three different versions of the image, um, and they all went to. Uh, I believe they all went to different uh, funding sources, and they sold out like almost instantly because it was well. Um, it was well promoted it was well shared uh across uh social media i can't tell you without doing some digging and distracting right. <laughs> you'll get the numbers up so <laughs> what else happened this year friends um go ahead well 
I went through every comics dungeon rant and trusty henchman newsletter. Um, and I'm thoroughly depressed now because <laughs> I know all the news. <laughs> um, I know we lost a lot of people this year as far as talent and artists, um, as well as Chadwick Boseman, mm-hmm. which we we're going to mention. Um, we just recently lost our favorite lumpy uh, artist, Richard Corbin. It's probably the, the lumpiest the art lumpiest, style. <laughs> yes, the lumpiest art style. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's my depressing thing. But, Chris, do you have something less depressing? <laughs> uh, yeah, I was going to mention uh, it's because this thing brings me a little bit of hope. It was reported back in July, um, but Marvel and Scholastic are uniting to launch uh, an all new line of uh, graphic novels for young readers. And it's starting with Miles Morales, and um, I think they were going to do a Miss Marvel as well, eventually. And to me, that's kind of, uh, I mean, it's good for a number of reasons. And one of it is that Scholastic books just, I think, have a far better reach than normal Marvel comics to get to younger readers. And I mean, just imagining Scholastic book fairs and getting them into schools and libraries. Um, and it's also focusing on getting that material to be more appropriate, you know, a little bit less uh, murdery in some places. And um, also, it's just Scholastic's like making the big money right now. Like they're they're kind of the king of the industry because between Dogman, uh, Amulet, um, the Raina Telgemeier books, like they kind of they kind of control stuff so this feels like marvel finally making like a really smart decision it feels like it's five to ten years too late um but it it gives me hope you know? yeah and they've also greenlit a lot of um movies i think dogman was um uh, greenlit for a movie and i know lumberjanes is gonna go over to like hbo max yeah um so we're gonna see a bunch of animated stuff in the future out of these extremely high sellers that are marketed Mm -hmm. to young young ones so that might just overall increase i don't know the longevity of the medium um Mm -hmm. infuse it into the next generation because you know marvel and dc for the past chunk of years hasn't been trying as well as they should have and uh it's nice to just see one of them take just the right step so yeah so there was that um and then I thought I'd also briefly mention there's there was kind of like a domino effect of news. Uh, if you go back to like September, or so um, Archie announced that they were going to put their entire line available on uh, Comicology Unlimited uh, and like same day release digital and print. Um, and that's not too worries because usually um, you kind of want some distance from the print release so that comic stores can have a chance to make money. Um, but with Archie stuff, it didn't wasn't really much of a worry because it's it's different than the superhero market um, and the traffic that brings. But then Marvel also, I think, reduced the time period. Marvel and DC reduced their time periods. I'd have to get deep into the um, old mm-hmm. newsletters again. I, rem- I have Marvels. I don't have DCs, but Marvel went from six months to three months for the digital the big releases. Um, but I don't remember the DC one, unfortunately. I think it might be uh, oh, DC confirmed because they launched their DC Universe Infinite, uh, a six-month delay. 
Um, but Marvel waited till I think right after they confirmed that so they could be like, ha three months. And you also have uh, Kodanisha announced that new release, uh, new release, new chapters of ongoing manga and comicology the same day as Japan. Um, so you just have a bunch of these publishers all beginning to like reduce that time. And if we were still running a retail store, I would be very nervous about that. Um, so like what? Walk me through that. What would that mean? Well, the idea is that uh, if if there's a large chunk of time between people being able to get something digitally, that they would probably break and get print first um, because they don't want spoilers or you know it just gives the print books a little bit more of a prestige like you know i got it in print first you know and um but the more you reduce that then the people that are already waffling on the fence might just go ahead and be like that digital especially during a pandemic right um and the more people are trying to stay home and stay safe the less they'll want to go to their stores or have things shipped if they don't trust in shipping or whatever um so anything that makes the digital releases more uh of an option it's just a little worrisome for retailers but it'll keep taking a little bit more of the bite out of the pie um but that's still more among like superhero stuff that the worry is you know um i would worry also with like saga if it came back at any point in time um so yeah it's just it's a trend that was starting to build uh, around that september period i think and uh, i haven't seen any new announcements that you know have made it a little bit more nerve-wracking or anything so we'll see cool so yeah yeah i'm i'm, I'm interested in following the uh, saga saga now because i've read the first two trades because i'm like everybody else has read this series but i finally picked it up and yep. uh it's great yeah yeah are they, I mean, I know they were taking a break. Is there? I thought <laughs> earlier in the year, it was like, we are working on it now. And then that was the last I'd heard. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think there was just like, yep, we're totally like thinking about doing something. It's just we're like, thinking about getting back to it. And I don't want to put too much pressure on them, but like during the, during the shutdown phases, if they had gotten an issue out, it would have been nice. <laughs> You know, yeah. the first issue, the first return, it would have given stores just a little bit something extra to be like, look, we have a thing you want. Instead, we got a surprise Walking Dead Negan comment comic that we didn't want. <laughs> yeah. Yep, yep, yep. I mean, some people were happy with that Negan comic, but uh, I don't know. If you want to hear me complain about Robert Kirkman, there's an entire article on my website about that. <laughs> TrustyHenchman.com. Yeah. Plug. <laughs> yeah. All right. So um, there's an article that a friend of the store, Rob Salkowitz, posted on ICV2, and uh, he goes through his top stories of 2020. And a lot of it we've, we've, we've already discussed at length. Uh, either on the show or at other venues. I don't want to spend too much time, but it's, you know, the this year was a dumpster fire. Everything like DC split ties with Diamond. We've talked about that at length. Um, and then they like, I don't know what happened to the one retailer distributor they either fired or let go or yeah, cut ties U- with. UCS? Is that yeah. what it is? There's a couple different reports, but essentially it sounded like UCBS dropped, dropped DC. Mm-hmm. 
They were um, like, this is hard. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's what it kind of sounds like. It also just sort of sounds like DC, like uh, they forced like, a whole bunch of things like you have to spend a minimum of this much in an order and da 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 da. And I think the ECB, yeah, whatever that company is, was just like, out. We out. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to know what kind of nightmares any retailers had to deal with as they had to flip between distributors. Are again. you? Are you two still sort of in that, um, I don't want to call it schadenfreude period, but the, the, the wave of relief where you see all this stuff coming out of the industry and you're like, whew, thank God I don't have to deal with that anymore. Yeah, yes. even before we closed, we were seeing things that were coming down the pipe and we were like, oh, thank God we're getting out. <laughs> yeah. And it's not necessarily like we relish in people's pain. We understand the pain they're going through and we hope that they can hang on and we yeah. understand if they can't. <laughs> yeah. It's like one long, like eight, nine month uh, Keanu um, Matrix dodge. Yeah, <laughs> it's still in slow motion. And we're like, oh, there's another bullet. <laughs> Goodbye. You know, speaking of Keanu. Sad Keanu. Sad Keanu <laughs> over Mars. <laughs> um, every single con got canceled after March. I know that uh, uh, yeah. Scott and Comics Dungeon slash Corner Comics were one of the first ones to, to cancel your or to pull out from the con i think even before the uh the whole thing was canceled everything yeah. got canceled since then now they're talking about having possibly having some in maybe limited capacity next year um now that the uh, vaccines are starting to roll out but i don't think you know the uh the demographic of comic book reader is really high on the list of people who get the vaccine yeah I would also just be nervous about everybody, any anti-vaxxers and anybody that's just kind of not willing to, to uh, have empathy for anybody else. Um, so, yeah. Cons yeah. are notoriously breeding grounds for... Exactly. Season. Before the pandemic, people had questionable hygienic practices. Um, yeah. That's that may Scott... not have changed for a lot of people. <laughs> When Scott and Laney, you know, decided to, to pull out, I mean, that must have been like one of the most immediate thoughts of just kind of like, oh, crap, though, we get sick normally. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we're, oh, are we taking cash? Like, you know, how, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and how many fights would you get in saying no cash? Um, I mean, there's just, just so many people that are so anta antagonistically stubborn about things like that because we had some of that at the store. Um, but even today, I was, I was, at a hospital for various reasons and there were elderly people that were fighting the the receptionists about doing things policy things oh, in having to do with covid so it's just like we're not in any kind of safe place where we could count on everybody to do the right thing yeah and a comic convention is not where you should sacrifice your life yeah sorry <laughs> words to live by <laughs> um what else happened this year of notes that we want to talk about well i don't i we probably mentioned in an earlier podcast that dan didio left dc i think that was one of the earlier ones but when yeah. i was going through the newsletters i missed that he joined the kubrick school faculty yeah, yeah so yeah. that's a, a little follow-up from what we uh talked about earlier this year the mm -hmm. kubrick school fact like stanley kubrick uh kubert uh kubert oh sorry Joe, Joe Kubert. Joe Kubert. Yeah. I, <laughs> I totally misheard that. that wrong. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's interesting. It, he landed. He landed somewhere else there. Yeah. I haven't I heard do. any updates about him on that, though. Yeah. 
I do like the fact that at one point Jim Lee had to assure audiences that no, we're still going to be publishing comics. Yeah. For now. <laughs> For now. I do not envy him uh, that position because you have to try and look like the glue's not coming apart, but the corporate overlords are doing all these weird things. It's like Spider-Man holding the two sides <laughs> of the ferry together. Yeah, the train's going. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> somebody needs to uh, Photoshop Jim Lee's face on that Spider-Man scene with the train. Um, <laughs> of course, and, the people like Spider-Man's Marvel and Jim Lee's on DC, blah, blah, blah. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's all pain it's all it's pain. all pain all the way down yeah yeah I, I noticed a lot of my notes were dc doing uh, all kinds of things and i either glazed over whatever marvel did or just shows how much dc did a lot of things this year and not necessarily for the greater good <laughs> yeah yeah i'm yeah. not there was that website the outhousers.com are they even still around not really. I think the the one one of the guys there moved over to Bleeding Cool. Uh, um, so and I don't. There's a lot of news on Bleeding Cool, but I refuse to look at it. <laughs> Mostly it makes be, your eyes bleed. <laughs> it makes my eyes bleed, and also because I don't know how many viruses are on each page click on that site. So, so apparently, and it's been a while. I just pulled them up, and uh, the headline is "So long and thanks for all the clicks." Apparently, they closed on February eighth, twenty nineteen. Oh, okay. Yeah. But the reason I bring them up is because they had a widget on the sidebar that says it's been X number of days since DC did something stupid. Yeah. And apparently it has been 133 days. I don't think um, they've been updating. Yeah, yeah probably not. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, like a third of the DC editorial staff was laid off. They did more layoffs. I think there were, um, I, I think you mentioned something, Chris, in one of the newsletters that like, there were two uh, women who were in leadership roles, which was like, yay. And then like a lot of the black executives were laid off and it was, was like, like boo. boo. So it was just like <laughs> almost no. Yes. No, we're still at a deficit. Getting there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm looking through some of the uh, news, old newsletters here. And uh, this one was, was kind of cool to see again, going back to Scholastic. Uh, the new chapter of Dogman came out, and it was the number one best-selling book overall in the U.S. and Canada. And wow. I'm pretty sure it beat Stephen King. Um, and that just that makes my heart feel good. <laughs> Nothing Boy, Dad, too much. Dav Pilkey's just printing money these days, oh, isn't he? Oh, yeah, seriously. Yeah. Can you imagine the movie? Like, that will be the best-selling movie <laughs> once people can go see it, you know? So that was kind of cool news. So you got the cool news. I got the depressing news. I don't <laughs> think I have anything of hope in my notes. Well, we've mentioned Richard Corbin um, and yeah. Chadwick Boseman. Actually, I just saw um, something today that said that his final performance as Black Panther is going to be in an upcoming cartoon that Disney slash Marvel is working on. Yeah, and the leak... Already- the leaked investor day that Kevin Foggy did um, for Marvel, like phase four rollout and like into some phase five stuff uh, said that they're not recasting Black Panther. So right. they're going to go in different directions, which I think is a good call. It's a tricky one. I mean, it gives honor to him and the legacy that he has. And in that way, it's really beautiful. Um, as far as storytelling is concerned, not having Black Panther, it yes. can hurt a bit, you know, to not have T'Challa. Yeah. So. Yeah. 
So who do you think it's going to be? Is it going to be Shuri? I would suspect that um, based on comic book reference, but yeah, they could go in a different direction. I mean, supposedly Ryan is writing the next Black Panther as we speak. So. Mm-hmm. We also lost uh, Batman editor and writer Denny O'Neill. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, that I saw uh, that caught my eye because uh, Cole and I did a panel jumper episode where um, our friend uh, Keith played Denny. Mm-hmm. I had a really, um, a really great interaction with Denny O'Neill back when I was, uh, I think it was like 90, uh, 90. <laughs> one or two when I started graduate school and I needed to write a graduate school paper and I wanted to write a paper on mask performance and Batman and I know nowhere I did had no clue where to start in writing an academic paper like what might be too much to bite off and try to chew (laughs) but I wrote him a letter and I said would you be interested in answering some questions for me for my paper and he's and he wrote me right back and I still have this little um, it's in my scrapbook, this little piece of stationery with his, his little typewritten note and his signature saying, I'd love to send me, I, uh, I won't have time to talk over the phone, send me a blank tape and your questions. And I sent him a blank tape and my questions. And I didn't, and I got it back like five months later, <laughs> way after I needed it. But I had this great tape with this interview Um with him giving some terrific responses and also going off on a diet philosophical diatribes about the meaning of superheroes and society and stuff. And I hate to say it, but I loaned that tape to a, uh, a college professor and, and he never gave it back to me. Um, wow. To this day, I really regret it. The guy wasn't even in my department. He was in my girlfriend's department in the lit department. And to this day, I regret never getting that back because it was pretty precious. But it also was like, I will always have a tremendous fondness um, for Denny O'Neill for that reason alone. Guy took time out for some nerdy drama graduate student, (laughs) answered a lot of goofy questions with with verve and alacrity. And it's great. He will be missed. He will be missed. Who else? Uh, uh, we, we mentioned a number of names before we started rolling. Who else? We yeah. lose this year? Well, there's uh, actors from, of course, the the many original Star Wars actors. Uh, Dave Prowse, uh, who was original Darth Vader, died at 85. And um, Jeremy Bullock, who is the original Boba Fett, died. Um, I, uh, I, I didn't want to uh, make it all about me, but I have this great book where I have collected a lot of their autographs because they're all at the same comic book convention. And and Jeremy Bullock was was the most fun. Um I heard you know, that he he yeah. really took uh took on the, the comic yeah, experience. Loved his fans a lot. So I have very positive memories of that. Um for me, um uh one of my favorite um cinematic designers, um Ron Cobb uh, died early on the pandemic, and Cobb uh, designed everything from Star Wars aliens to interiors and spaceships for Alien um, to Conan the Barbarian, the the original um, Conan the Barbarian. He just he just uh, he was he had this beautiful illustrative style, and he was also he did political cartoons for a long time too. Um, but there was nothing more 
fascinating to me than looking at movie magazines like Fantastic Films and Starlog and seeing Ron Cobb's illustrations there because they were just all so beautifully rendered. And frequently they weren't images that were, that were ever used in the films, um, but they were the launching point for other designers like the Nostromo designs he did for Alien. Well, they didn't, they were his, frankly, his, his ship designs were too beautiful and sleek and, and pristine to fit in what eventually was the, the mise-en-scene for Alien. Um, but he also designed like the Hammerhead Alien from the Star Wars Cantina, and everybody loves a Hammerhead, you know? <laughs> in fact, uh, there's, they gave, they borrowed his name for the animated series when they made one of the um, Ithorian uh, uh Aliens of Jedi, and I think they called that Jedi Roran Cobb, Roran Cobb, something like that. The hardcore Star Wars fans out there will correct me, I'm sure. But yeah. What they should do, because uh, you just made a great pitch there as well, is that since they're doing all these new Star Wars, like what it looked like they offered, like 12 new Star Wars TV shows, yeah. the next TV show should be Everybody Loves Hammerhead. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and it's all, you know, day to day uh, adventures at the cantina, you know, Cheers style. And he's he's the norm of uh, of Moss Eisley. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, Any other notable names? Yeah. Jiro Kuwata. Uh, he was the creator of the Batman manga. Um, he passed away on July 2nd. And those Batman manga are magical. They're they're great. Uh, Grant Morrison based little chunks of his uh, his Batman run off of it. Like he brought back Lord Deathman, who is a great villain. Uh, so that was somebody else who passed away. Juan uh, Gimenez. I don't I don't know if I'm saying his name correctly, but Meta Baron's artist. Yeah, yeah, Jimenez. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we actually lost him to COVID, if I'm remembering correctly. I, I think so. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Um. Oh, some before I forget it. Uh, this isn't this isn't a pass away, but um, some other bit of news that's interesting because it, it kind of rolls all into all the weird digital stuff happening right now, and also some of the Time Warner stuff, which maybe we'll mention that briefly, uh, or the HBO stuff. I mean, but uh, AT and T sold Crunchyroll to Sony for. billion dollars Jeez, and um it seems weird because that seems like throwing away money uh because the manga audiences in the u.s are are growing um i mean like netflix released a statement a little while ago like they want more manga um and I mean, Amazon's trying to get more manga up or uh, anime on there. I mean, I got schooled recently by a teenager about the difference between manga and anime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so it just seems really odd for one of these huge uh, media conglomerates to be like, yeah, take away all this stuff from us. We don't know what to do with it. And that's what it feels like they're doing with a lot of things like um, like their good relationships with directors um by you know forcing dune to be on hbo max first and uh yeah there was there was some interesting articles uh because first it was christopher nolan complaining about it but everybody kind of poo-pooed on him because they were saying that uh what's that movie that his last movie tenant yeah that he kind of forced a bad issue at hand there but then the director of dune and arrival he poo-pooed and nobody's poo-pooing on him um <laughs> and yeah, it's like, on the poo-poo. yeah um and so there's there's a couple just interesting perspectives from directors about all the effort all the work that they put in to making these theatrical releases and how they're willing to wait 
Um, and it's understandable from the corporation side it's like, hey, we, we, we need money now. But at the same time, in some of these cases, the directors um, or the producers aren't being told about these decisions until the last possible minute, which seems a little disrespectful, you know? Yeah. Um, seems to be a status quo in big industry stuff. And we've seen that in comic books where, you know, um, uh, Baltazar didn't realize that his comic was canceled until... Oh, he saw yeah. it in like previews or an article or something like that. Yeah, there's a bunch of people yeah. like over at Dark Horse, I think, got cancellations as well. Mm-hmm. And they're yeah. just like, oh, or like they're not necessarily cancellation, but uh, I think that's Spell on Wheels. They got message of like, oh, we're just going to release you as a trade now. And they're like, right. oh, I've been promoting my single issues. Right. Yeah. And as far as the Warner Brothers thing uh, with the 2021, you know, slotting of the movies on both HBO Max and in theaters, that company in general we've already seen some some interesting straight to digital type things with comics obviously um so it's not a terrible surprise to me that they would do that as well where so many people are going to be streaming they're going to get maybe more of an influx in the hbo max which is going to get that like sustainable you know money from people every month and who knows when if you know that we'll have a regular theater experience again so I just wish that there would be more of a give and take um, with theaters to be able to at least, um, I was watching some video where it was about how much money you have to give to a company if you're a theater, um, just to just to put the the movie on the screen. And if they could lessen that and say, hey, we're going to take less of a cut you can still run this in your theater and people will do stuff on streaming. Then it gives people an option and then it maximizes profit for the theaters, um, which still might not make the theaters continue, but it would still help. And yeah. people are still going to be getting money. But And it's a good faith gesture. It is a good faith, yeah. faith gesture. Yeah. Some more of those would be nice. Yeah, it would meaning be nice. it's probably not going to happen. Yeah. Um, yeah, if it's yeah. a good idea. No. <laughs> it's a good idea, Helpful. but it means that rich people aren't going to get more rich, and so it's not going to work. They can't right. buy that second island. <laughs> what are Darn they going to do? I know that's that's always like you know, theaters don't make money on the ticket sales. It's always it's on the concessions and exactly because so... they're spending all the money giving it back to the the big corporations. <clears throat> yep. Yeah. And yet that Hollywood math makes it so that these movies don't make a profit. Yep. Uh, anyway, I'm looking forward to seeing Wonder Woman on Christmas Day in HBO Max. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm going to watch it, strangely, even though I hated the first one. <laughs> but mostly so my husband could see Cheetah. Ah, uh, yeah. He's a Tiger fan. He likes, you know, cat ladies. He likes you know? some cat ladies. <laughs> yeah. Um, have we, uh, have we wrapped up our in memoriam section? Are there any other notable? I mean, unless you uh, want me to just read a list of like 20 people. But well, I don't... I, I don't think we need to do that. <laughs> we don't need to be yeah, that I depressing. So. I would Hold like it. that. To go back that's and... where my tone is. Um, uh, yes, Cole. I think the one that impacted me the most was, uh, Nicole already mentioned, uh, Richard Corbin. And strangely enough, at the start of the pandemic, I got a bug at my, tailpipe to start collecting old undergrounds and i was actually collecting um death rattle and skull some like his earliest earliest stuff um and immersing myself in this and and that's what was kind of tragic and ironic is that i 
he's one of those artists that I would do every once in a while. I'd, I'd, get, I'd do a deep dive and go, oh, I want to get everything I can that this guy has done. And and um, there was a time where at the old Comics Dungeon location, y'all had the, uh, there was an adult section. And I walked in one day and someone had just dumped their entire trade paperback collection of uh, like, of like these heavy metal collections of, of Corbin. And I bought every goddamn one of them um, <laughs> because my impulse control was out of control. And I'm so glad that I bought them then um, like, you know, Den Collections and the Bodicey and, oh, Paula House Usher. And and um, uh, I watched them escalate in value while he was still alive. But um, he's the one I'm just really, really going to miss because I, his style kept evolving and he still continued to, I think he's one of the, I think he's an artist that introduced all of us to like, in American horror comics, the, the concept of body horror before we had that phrase. Because, I mean, he could make something grotesque and sexy at the same time. And I don't know of another artist who could do that. <laughs> grotesque? Gro- <laughs> Globular erotica? I don't know. <laughs> Blobrotica. Blobrotica? Yeah. There you go. Perfect. So, anyway, I just wanted to, to piggyback on, on Nicole's comment because he's, he is truly an artist I'm going to miss. Because he was still producing, he was you know he's still producing uh, thematic books like his Poe collections through uh, Dark Horse and um, his Lovecraft stories. You know he still was just he he just was on, he still was on fire. Yeah, I think uh, one last person of note would be Richard Sala. Um, that one kind of yeah. snuck up on us this year. I think he was like sixty five, um, if I'm remembering correctly. I can't uh, quite remember. And that one just kind of, I mean, like death does kind of came out of nowhere where it was like, what, huh? Wait, how old is this man? How, what, what happened? So yeah, for the indie, for the indie fans out there, he was a notable creator. Yeah. Uh, so this was, this was a, a, an interesting year in terms of like what was released and uh, titles that were probably promised, but were never delivered. And uh, just the whole distribution thing, like, is it going to get to a store? Or is it di- uh, digital only? But do you all have like favorite comics that came out this year that you'd like to talk about? I have favorite comics, but in some of them, I can't even tell you if they came out this year because... <laughs> My game has been catching up finally to everything I've bought in the past five years. Um, and some of it, I think, is like right on the cusp. So I'm going to talk about them regardless. Do it. Um, <laughs> let's see. The The handy thing is I have an entire website where I wrote everything <laughs> down. So I could just check and be like, what was I thinking? Um, Mayor Interning was one of my favorite books. Uh, that was uh, a book that Nicole gifted to me, um, and it's uh, it's a webcomic, but the interesting thing is from the webcomic to the printed book, there's a lot of editorial changes that do really enhance it, so I do recommend people read that, and it's a, uh, it's kind of like a hard science, uh, hard science fiction book about um, a couple scientists that kind of get lost in the underground sea on Mars, but it's dealing more so with uh, mental health issues as uh, one of them has a number of problems and starts the book trying to commit suicide. Um, 
and it's just really, 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 really well done. And uh, it rocketed that creator to just being like one of my favorite uh, creators. Their name is uh, Dershing Helmer. And um, so if you get a chance, I, I highly recommend Mare Internum. And do you want me to list a couple or do we all want to take turns? Let's go around, Robin. Cole, what do you got? Oh, my goodness. Um, so... One of the, 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 the joyful things for me was um, Rick Beach started uh, working on his King Hell Heroica once again, and he's self-publishing these. So this, the sequel to The Brat Pack and Max Immortal um, is uh, now his boy Max Immortal. And um, he's, he's actually publishing these. I think he's publishing them um, to order uh, uh, through Amazon, through his, um, his Sun Comics Press. But... Um, uh, I'm a I'm a huge Rick Beach fan, and I reread all of his Swamp Thing run because I wrote an article for the Holland File Swamp Thing um, fanzine a couple of months ago. So I hadn't spent a lot of time with Beach as a storyteller, as a writer, and as an illustrator for quite some time. And it was really fun to go back because I do think he's quite brilliant. And he's still challenging the status quo of superhero storytelling, but he's also skewering the industry while he's at it. Um, and uh, if you know the history of publishing Brat Pack and and the Max Immortal and all that, it's it's been it's always been very very rocky. But now I think he's got a safe place where he can work at his own pace. And um, and he's also continuing to produce his his surreal comics, um, his rare bit fiends, which is always fascinating. That's basically his dream journal in comics form, which I originally thought was just silliness. And then I picked up an issue and I'm like, this is outrageous and I need to read every one of them. Um, but yeah, oh, the new uh, Boy Max Immortal. Would you say that is more, less, or equally disturbing as the previous Max Immortals and, and Brad Pack? This is not quite so brutal, okay. um, but it has the possibility of going down that road. Okay. Um, uh, it's, uh, I, I knew you were going to ask me something like that, and <laughs> I read this right when it came out, and of course, everything is brain fog now. Yeah. So, um, uh I think it's kind of gentler because it's dealing more um, the, 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 the zeitgeist and the creative force behind, because he does a lot of metatextual stuff. Mm -hmm. So um, I guess to answer your question, this is not half as gory nor half as brutal or cruel um, mm -hmm. in his efforts to satirize what um, happened to like, say the creators of, of Superman um, and uh, if you remember, Brat Pack was basically a send up of the death of Robin because he was yeah. pretty, he thought that was a pretty toxic um, indication of where superhero story was telling was going, and he was right. Um, but yeah. cruel satire is a good way to summarize Brat Pack. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's still one of my favorite books for that reason because yeah. it doesn't pull any punches. Mm hmm. Nicole, do you have a highlight from this year? Yeah, even though it's not finished yet, I would uh, highly recommend Decorum. Um, while I'm kind of starting to have a little Jonathan Hickman burnout, where he does the same things in everything that he writes, um, it's still really solid writing and world building and interesting things. Um, the most... Uh, the reason why you should pick up the book is because of Mike Huddleston's art. 
he is such a varied artist who he's just got such an amazing range and he makes gorgeous art his coloring is phenomenal and um it's an interesting story that you don't have to say i'm going to do 10 volumes of this it's eight issues and it's done so if you're missing saga i i would recommend decorum there's you know cool little like anthropomorphic mantis guys in there and stuff um and it's just a fun adventure it kind of becomes like an assassin school at one point like a lady assassin school and it's got a lot of great humor and fun to it and uh yeah i don't even know if i have a synopsis to give you i just i just think it's an interesting sci-fi it's got like a lot of references to different things including jodorowsky's dune um you know there's the i guess the 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 plot synopsis was that the world's most um a uh, polite, uh, well-mannered assassin goes and kills people who are rude. I don't know. Yeah. It's something like <laughs> that. Uh, that's kind of the general gist is um, Decorum is the is a really good assassin. And she's also all about manners. And she picks up this uh, woman who is, um, she is working as a courier to try to pay off a debt because there was a plague that came across the land I, I guess I'm doing a plot synopsis um, where people who who ha- are affected by this virus can go on ice until they find a solution to it, um, which I guess is kind of timely. But um, you have you're pretty much a debt, like in immense debt. And so you're constantly working just to try to keep, you know, whoever it is, your loved ones alive. And that's what this career is. And she's brought into the fold of assassins, um, even though she's not really bloodthirsty. So there's an interesting kind of odd couple thing that happens there. Cool. All right. Uh, any more from uh, from the group? I got a long list. <laughs> yeah. How much time do you? Want? <laughs> okay. One more each. One more each. Oh. oh. <laughs> we got to end sometime. No, yeah. no, we don't. Um, well, I don't have a copy of it, uh, but because I got it from the library, but. Chris had recommended um, on his uh, Trusty Henchman newsletter, uh, I think he reviewed it, it's a, it was a, it's a new graphic novel called The Gift for a Ghost by Borgia Gonzalez, mm. which I think is one of the most beautiful um, um, graphic novels I've seen in ages. And if I wasn't impoverished right now and living on the uh, COVID dole, I'd be buying copies for lots of people, especially a lot of the, the, the younger um, uh, women in my life. Um, so I, what I've done is recommend it to uh, uh, moms with young preteen daughters. It's, uh, I don't know, Chris, can you help me out the story? It's, it's a parallel story. It's beautifully, beautifully illustrated. Yeah, wonderfully stylized illustration, but it's a parallel story. And there's a young woman. Is she in the 1800s? Yeah, yeah. and she's a poet. And it's weird, creepy poet poetry that we pretty much we describe as being like you know goth emo today. Yeah, very goth emo. And then there's a girl that I couldn't quite place it. I felt like it was it must be like within this past decade. Yeah, um, and she has trouble really connecting with people as well. And it's weird. So one of the ways my brain started to characterize it is what if Mike Mignola became a 90s underground artist instead of doing Hellboy? Um, Because it has that there's many Mignola-esque scenes, like one of the girls dresses up as a skeleton and it just looks completely like a Mignola piece because of the clean, simple lines and heavy blacks. Um, But it has that kind of wandering, meandering 90s slice of life thing suck kind of tone to it 
um, a little black hole, you know, here and there. And um, yeah, the two stories kind of run parallel and there might be time travel. Everything's very vague. Everything it, it is, and they do intertwine because the our modern our, our young lady from the the modern time, she's trying to start a band with her with her um, with her girlfriends, but you know, of course, nobody knows how to play an instrument, and that doesn't matter because they're going to be a punk rock band anyway. Yeah. Um, but you, you have, don't need talent. Yeah. Yeah, no. you don't need talent. Um, and I that just resonated so deeply with me. But it was about these two socially displaced young women. And, and essentially out of time, out of space, but resonating on the same frequency. And I think that's really what we, that's the only thing we really needed to know was that they they connect with each other across space and time because they are on the same um, creative spiritual frequency and they touch one another from time to time. And uh, now I'm just, the more now I'm remembering more about it and I'm like, I really just need to go buy a copy of that book so I can loan it to people. So yeah, yeah. that yeah, was a great it, recommendation, Chris. I I got so much out of that book. I'm so glad that you reviewed it. I'm glad. I, I was drawn to that book too, and it's available on Hoopla for those Seattleites that don't want to buy it, but maybe want to check it out yeah. and then maybe buy it when they fall in love with it. Mm -hmm. And that was uh, A Gift for a Ghost. A Gift for a Ghost by Borgia Gonzalez. Yeah, yeah. All right. All right, uh, Chris, why don't you tell us one more? Uh, I'll go for a hat trip because I've accidentally reviewed it twice already because uh, I loved it so much. Magical Boy, it's an online comic, and uh, it is a book about a trans man, uh, a teenager, who um, comes from a long line of magical girls who save the world from demonic forces. And his mother wants him to be a magical girl but his mother doesn't recognize that he identifies as a man now and um he does start to develop magical girl powers and against his will because whenever you turn into a magical girl your clothes turn all frilly and everything and he's just like what the fuck is this sorry i shouldn't swear here should i um <laughs> Yeah, we're so used to swearing now <laughs> on, on other channels, things that we talk on. <laughs> but the, uh, um, so, and the, he's got an interesting cast of characters, uh, like his best friend is a lesbian who is forming a relationship with the pastor's daughter who initially hates them and, and belittles them and doesn't recognize the main character um, as they want to be recognized. Um, and uh, there's a bunch of other really interesting characters. One of my favorites is a uh, the young punk, the the troublemaker in school. Um, he loves cute things and uh, is not ashamed to show it. So he's a big fan of uh, magical girl fiction stuff, and so he becomes a friend of the main character. And so it's it's a series about dealing with um, that transition and um accepting who you are and you know finding people who accept you for who you are as well um it just so it was entirely free uh for a while and i hadn't finished yet but the, i just went and checked it out and the first chunk of chapters are free but now you got to sign up for the uh um the hostess uh tapas and because uh, apparently it just got um picked up by i think scholastic 
and they're gonna make a movie and maybe a cartoon for it oh nice Um, because they got a glad award or something right they got a glad award Mm -hmm. so it's it's been blowing up and um so unfortunately you can't read the whole thing automatically without a tapas account right now but they are going to get a graphic novel out um which will be interested because like a lot of these uh web comics it reads scrolls up to down so they have to transfer it and readjust it um but i i highly recommend it it's just uh, a very empath- empathetic story um about accepting people and it has a great sense of humor and a lot of great artwork chris what's the name of i'm trying to look it up because i can't remember um it's the i think it's an argentinian publisher Oh, is it the robot? Red, ro- not red robot. Um, no, they did. And there was this great uh, uh, Kaiju Lovecraftian uh, graphic novel that was only available online. Yes. Uh, Mega Mega was the comic. Yeah, Mega's the book. And Stonebot. Stonebot. Stonebox. Okay. A bot. B-O-T. Stonebot. Yeah. Um, the Mega was like this profound discovery. It was like, and, and apparently that artist has done um you can read mega free online at the stonebot site and you can read a lot of their other comics there is the the one about the um the uh hyper intelligent ape um and stuff like that and they're they're quite good comics and um there's the 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 care and the detail that have gone into these books and they're free online but they're not i don't think they've ever been printed in the states which is another reason why they're so delicious. And uh, one about the chimp was, but yeah. Mega has not. Okay. Yeah, and some I, of them are, some of them aren't. Sorry, kind of hijacked that, but you just reminded me that you had, you had reviewed Mega in uh, Trusty Henchman. I'm like, oh, that's a book that m- more people need to know about because it's for free. That creator Salvador Sanz, S A N Z, also did some Lovecraft work. Um, and if you find their Instagram, they keep posting things that we can't get over here. And it's just uh, like, yeah. Uh, well, um, uh, Aaron Tarbuck had posted, um, uh, there was an earlier uh, a horror graphic novel that Sands had done that he said, this is the most, this is the best horror graphic novel I've ever read. And you can't find any English translations that are not under $200 in the States. So yeah, really fascinating artist. Nicole, you got any other highlights for this year? Yeah, I wouldn't be me if I didn't have some lighthearted smut to end the uh, the year. Um, the series Money Shot, I believe I did review it at some point this year. It came out in a volume one and volume two has been offered in this month's preview. So we'll probably see it in February. And uh, it's just, you know, it's just silly and lighthearted and fun. It has a good time and it has a ridiculous premise of, you know, funding science through pornography uh like you do and um the art's great i think it's the artist from of course i didn't look anything up i i think it's the artist who did buffy for a while yeah, and so. it's Seely tom tom tim Seely? Tim, tim, tim tim they call him tim tim <laughs> anyway uh it's a lot of fun so if you're just looking for something to get your mind off of how horrible everything is um money shot will do that it's a good time publish that again i believe that was scout huh we'll look look it up up. yeah that works 
Speaking of things that were horrible, were there any big disappointments that anybody felt happened this year? I mean, the year. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> grand news stories aside. Um, any DC, hype titles that didn't live up to their promise? Well, DC made such an effort to push that black label imprint, and then they they nuked it. They just got rid of it. Um, and it's... <sighs> On the one hand, I don't think I care either way, other than I do like the idea that you have this little imprint where you could just kind of do anything regardless of maturity level. But it's just the fact that they they worked it up so much. And this is the part where I'm petty as well. They were oversized, thin books, and they were a pain in the took us to store and deal with on New Comic Book Day. And now it's just kind of like all that pain in the butt is is like <laughs> they just gave up, you know. Yeah, they were so, putting their evergreen titles there. They're things that are yeah, you know, important. And then who cares? Yeah. So as as far as a a publishing decision, it's not that the content was necessarily bad. It's right. just that they let somebody in corporate make the decision to be like, no, we can't we can't be that mature. And it's just kind of like you can if you just say you're mature. Exactly. Also, this format is ridiculous because it's not going to fit in your file box, and it's uh, this is a seven dollar book, you know, yeah. and like something like like uh, I'm I, I'm debating about whether I want to review this um, uh, other history of the DC universe, uh, whether it's someone else's. Anyway, um, but this is not a, a comic book. Comic book. I mean, it's a it's a narration with illustrations. So. That's kind of okay for me. Um, uh, it works, but you know, like the new Hellblazer series, which is done in this format, is ridiculous. Um, you know, it's it's you're, you're making me pay seven bucks for this book, and it uh, and it, it doesn't match any other format. It's not gonna. It's you know, it doesn't sit on the shelf well. Um, it's not gonna fit in a file box, and you know, it's it's a it it just stinks of gimmickry. And it's not even that good a series. So, but because, you know, I've been reading Hellblazer since the beginning, I'm going to read and I'm going to buy it and I'm going to be crabby about it. <laughs> At some point, you're going to have to have an intervention with yourself, but that's for another time. Um, Money Shot is published by Vault Comics, which I get confused with Scout because I don't know. Yeah. And yeah, it's Tim Seeley, Sarah Beattie, and Rebecca Isaacs is the artist I was thinking of who did Buffy for a really, really long time. Between Vault, Scout, and Aftershock, and a couple of the others, it's it they kind of blur a little bit. <laughs> yeah, because none of them have quite defined themselves as far as a genre of any type. Not that you have to, right? It just makes it difficult when you're trying to, you know, suddenly remember who published a thing. Right. So, yeah. Any other any other big disappointments coming out of 2020? Um. <laughs> You can say uh, there does the, you know we don't have to have an answer. Well, I there was there was stuff I reviewed you know like uh, this was the the Bowie biography I had a terrible time with and I'm I'm gonna have to give up on Tanahashi Coates's Captain America because after like two years I'm not I had I had hopes of, of, of what he was gonna do with this character that he was gonna maybe challenge the status quo, um, but clearly that was not either not something he had editorially had the opportunity to do or um maybe that just wasn't his plan but 
um, having not been a super duper fan of Captain America, I just wasn't, I'm not on board for more Captain America um, type stories. The artwork has been terribly inconsistent and frequently really weak. And if his, if Coates's name wasn't on this, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be the wiser. So um, that was, that was very disappointing for me. Um, because right now I'm looking for ways to, you know, to, to jump off on a lot of titles because I can't afford them anymore. So that's one. A little disappointed in, so we, we kind of mentioned it a couple times now already, but when uh, DC was drowning the market, when things were shut down, Marvel was uh, starving us. Um, and I really would have liked it if they had figured out their release schedule game a bit more, you know, quicker. Um, on one hand, it's like they were cautious. They had to be careful with the pandemic. But there was enough books that were delayed so long that in my mind, like my, my sense of time is completely out the window as far as like the, the X-Men, Dawn of X stuff and all that and Empire. I'm also just disappointed by the fact that there's been like, what, four or five events all within two months because there was Empire, there's Death Metal, there's the new Future State from DC and I think there's 10 of swords that goes over every X-Men title and you have to read all of them to get all of the yeah, chapters. I think that's swords. like 22 books or something. King in black, which is, it's, it's not yeah, the same yeah. as death metal, but it's like, Hey, let's do hardcore sci-fi death stuff at both companies. And it's just kind of like, eh, fine. So is that Donnie Cates led? Cause that would make sense. Yeah. It's I'm been, not, yeah, I'm not yeah, really paying attention. I scan very fast through Marvel and DC these days. When I do the, uh, I do upcoming features on my website where I try to figure, I, I choose like a genre. I'm like, what books in the catalogs of sci-fi are worth looking for, you know? And every time I get to superheroes, I dread doing it now because, uh, well, first of all, having to get information from DC is just a pain in the butt. And then second of all, like the last time I, I, it, had to turn it into a game what's not an event you know can i recommend something that is completely disconnected and you can't last few dc connects everything's yeah. yeah everything's connected um so there's just that's i thought we were getting out of that and to a degree in some places we are but not enough for my taste you know i think right less is more and they still have not realized that we that's what we need because more and more of that dedicated fan base is um really getting tired by it and then on top of it with unemployment and all kinds of things happening people just really can't afford it and like cole are just looking at ways to cut it down right yeah yeah can i state something that is a preemptive disappointment for 2021 <laughs> sure Apparently, Zack Snyder wants to write a comic book that Jim Lee will draw that features the Joker killing Robin. And oh, every, every <laughs> element of that is like, no, no. You no. don't need a better big red frickin' flag as to the <laughs> toxic interpretation of superheroes on the part of Zack Snyder. That said it all. I was just like, really? You're not even trying to hide this anymore. <laughs> Well, you know, this the Snyder Cut is coming out and and that was a whole internet wave of Actually, people who were really was, excited about it. So yeah, was, if there's was, an audience, 
you know? I was going to save that for um, my, what I'm looking forward to. And what I'm looking forward to is that film being released. So the pleading, childish, begging and tugging on my shirt coat sleeve, uh, demanding attention for that film will finally be done. That's what yeah. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. That's good. a good segue. Yeah. It's good hope for uh, 2020. Anybody else have anything that they that they're looking forward to to happen in 20 in uh, next year, which is going to be in like a week and a half? I'm actually excited for WandaVision and stuff to come on to Disney Plus and some of that Marvel stuff to go again. Um, that really got me excited about um, going to the movies, although I'll be sitting in my living room. Right. But, um, that's uh that's a really cool thing and we're starting with one of the things that i'm most excited for and that's january 15th it's like really soon coming up yeah i'm looking forward to the possibility so with at&t selling crunchyroll because they don't want to make money i assume that means that somebody over there is looking at dc and being like can we just get rid of that and give it to marvel or Disney. Can we just give it to Disney? And there's got to be at least one executive that's just like, that's a couple billion, isn't it? <laughs> Batman's worth, what, like five billion on his own? Um, so there's that little hope that we'll see just this AT&T completely give up because um, I'm tired of seeing them act like they know what they're doing. <laughs> and uh, so that's that's something. My other yeah. hope is that uh, every other publisher will just give all their licenses to Scholastic. Just be like, here, you do something. You know what to do. Call up for a second as well. They know what they're doing. Yeah. Let these let these companies actually reach out to children and 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 save the industry. Yeah. So, and I think that's what I'm most looking forward to. Those the companies like for a second, and uh, uh, I actually. A lot of publishers are trying to get into diversifying all their stuff because I'm seeing a lot of them pick up more nonfiction and uh, from publishers, I never expected it. Like Ablaze is picking up nonfiction and it's just like, okay, the more of these companies beginning to just try something different is a good sign. You know, it's also a sign that they might be in trouble, but you know. Getting creative because yes. you're in a panic yes. <laughs> yeah. and a pandemic. Yes. Cool. Anybody on a, else? On a, a positive thing that I'm actually looking forward to is uh, Barry Windsor Smith's Monsters from Fanographics. It's finally got a publication date in April um, of next year. So this is the book that he has actually been working on for upwards of 35 years. That was originally supposed to be a Hulk story, a Hulk graphic novel. Um, and uh, lo and behold, the concept of of, of uh, Bruce Banner having multiple Hulk personalities that are reflective of his childhood uh, uh, being abused as a child by his father was actually Barry Windsor Smith's concept. He apparently shared it with Bill Mantlo or somebody else in the Marvel offices and they ran with it with not, without ever talking to him. So he never got credit for using those ideas. And, um, and it became like a cornerstone of how we tell Hulk stories now, which had to have been incredibly insulting and incredibly infuriating. Well, he, you know, kept, starting and stopping and starting and stopping on this book probably because every time he sat down to work on it, it broke his heart um so it's you know it's going to be a huge book i can't remember how many pages it's going to be it's like i don't know it's all well over 100 360 page book 
um, that he's been working on uh, for 35 years. And I'm just, I'm like this close to pre-ordering it just so I can feel that sense of completion that it will come to me <laughs> at some point. Because yeah. even even when it was announced at Fanagraphics, it's still been, I think it's still been delayed a couple of years. So that's what I'm really looking forward to. Cool. Nicole, you got anything else looking forward to in, in the new year? Financial security, um, my comic store staying in business. <laughs> Shout out to the comics place. And uh, yeah, just generally brick and mortar holding on so I can continue to support them. Indeed. Cool. Well, yeah, 2021 is just right around the corner. Let's move on to book report, everybody. We've already had a mini book report with all the hi highlighted comics for this year, but let's have an official one uh, because it's on the agenda. And Cole, let's start with you. Um, well, I got my hands on um, Tom Scioli's epic Jack Kirby, The Epic Life of the King of Comics. Um, mm -hmm. Nice. And uh, he's been, this is clearly a labor of love by Scioli because if you're familiar with his work, um, he did, I think he broke on the scene doing a series called Godland for um, Image years ago. And it was really, really a loving tribute to the 70s sci-fi um, psychedelic bombast that Kirby was giving us with um, his fourth world stuff and um you know, later with the Eternals and particularly his 2001 through Marvel. Um, so this book covers the entirety of his life and um, it's done in a really interesting style, uh, not unlike the way um, Ed Piscor did um, X-Men Grand Design where the, the pages are kind of, done, the, the pages are, are this off yellow color. Um, and of course, actually Shelley also did his take on, on um, that story means of storytelling and he did fantastic for grand design which i've not read um this book is really interesting because it's all done it, it, illustration wise it's all done in in pencil and um it's not it's it, it's meant to look like it's in pencil and it's smudgy and there's really subtle smudges everywhere um it's a dense book and scioli does put a disclaimer he says this is a biography um but it's told in jack kirby's voice so um, uh, so it's kind of like, which it always makes it kind of confusing when you have your lead character as your narrator. Um, I did enjoy this book, but I had, um, a lot of issues because it was having read so much about Kirby, having, having read so many other biographies from, about him, I knew where he was lifting source information. And some of it was verbatim from books like Mark Avanier's King of Comics and, and Sean House Marvel Comics. Like all these anecdotes were in other books I read. It's nice to have these drawings um, telling the story, um, but I hate to say, it, but it's not anything new for me. Um, also, he made the interesting choice to have Jack be this diminutive, kind of dark-eyed, cartoony-looking character, whereas everybody else was sort of rendered in this bland style. Um, and that was kind of troubling to me, too. Um, the biggest personal beef I have in this is that around 170, page 172, he does make mention of uh, science fiction land and the Lord of Light debacle that led to the Argo rescue of the hostages in Iran, but it only warranted one little panel. 
That's um, it, huh? And this caused a great deal of ire from our friend, uh, Mr. B.I.G., yep. which is one of the reasons why I sat down to read this book. So um, it's a loving tribute, for sure, from a huge fan who probably um, is, is sad that he never actually met his hero in real life, but immersed himself in the process of telling this person's story. And I think he did a fine job. I just, and one of the reasons why I think it's a fine job is that, like, the biggest beef I have with biographies right now is don't just give me the factoids. I want to know how this person thought. This is an artist you love. This is an artist I love. I want to know what their creative process was like. And that is in here um, because Kirby was really good about talking about his process about and, and how it evolved. And, and that's all in here. Um, but, you know, I did, I did have those, those problems with the information that I was already familiar with. Um, the other thing is that what I do appreciate about this is that this is going to teach people that Stanley is not the rock star you think he is. And this is like all the biographies I read didn't pull any punches. The, the Marvel book, the, the Kirby King and comics, these, they told these stories like they were, and they are all in here. Um, you know, most notably is like the reiteration. It's like Stanley did not create Captain America. <laughs> Um, so I did appreciate that, and I'm hoping that that information will seed contemporary consciousness because you know that really bothers me that that's that Stanley has been sort of like you know depicted as this doddering old sweet old grandpa, and and he had a lot of wrinkles, <laughs> and 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 Jack Kirby was uh, one of the people he really messed over for a long time. So yeah, I have mixed feelings, but I think it's worth reading. All right. Thank you, <laughs> Jack Kirby. The Epic Life of the King of Comics. Perfect. <laughs> All righty. Nicole, what do you want to tell us about? Well, one thing that actually happened in 2020 is Batman Catwoman actually came out. <laughs> That's over a year of waiting. Yeah, it's a black label, too. Mm. Um, written by Tom King, art by Clayman. Um, it's, you know, it's... It's, I believe, an epilogue on Tom King's um, Batman run. So if you haven't read all of the Tom King run like me, there'll probably be things that you miss. Um, and I knew that going in. Uh, Clayman's art is really, really good. Um, Tom King has got kind of his beat for beat. If you've read enough Tom King, you can get the feeling of it. Um, one critique is that it jumps in time, different timelines, in interweaves between those and it's very very clunky in the beginning to where i had to reread it and go okay what what's happening um because they do something and it's in the panel work i would say um to some extent but i'm sure that's also in the scripting that uh went down so overall i'm gonna i'm gonna keep reading it it's enjoyable i'm gonna kind of take it as it comes because i don't have all of the little bits and bobs that were out of the batman run but it's finally out there you go 2020 <laughs> that's supposed right. to reintroduce the mask of the phantasm did she pop up yet in the first issue uh i'm not familiar with okay. her so i don't know Skull like face. i said there's just okay. no uh i don't believe so i'm okay. definitely going to reread it because again clunky yeah. so when i get issue two in hand i'll reread one and then two that's the only reason I'd really be, I mean, I'm, I'll, I'll read it eventually, but as a trade, but uh, Mask of the Phantasm is one of my favorite Batman stories. 
Um, so the fact that they're like bringing that character into continuity with this story is just like, tell me more. So yeah. So one of my COVID projects was, um, uh, you may recall, I was collecting the entire Con Tom King run and I finally did right at the start of the pandemic and then I read them all. So I was like, well, maybe I can have, and then of course, like my brain, oh, I've forgotten that entire run, <laughs> but I did read them all. And, um, and I learned a lot about his writing style. So I am really curious of um, uh, how, how that uh, series is gonna play out and whether you like it. So um, I would be encouraged to pick it up if you continue to feel good about it. And I think you should take my review with a grain of salt considering I, I don't have all of that under my belt and that there will be stuff I will miss. My point being, I don't remember it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so we're on the same page. Exactly. It's all fresh. Batman and Catwoman. Thanks, Nicole. And finally, Chris Casso, what do you got for us? Uh, I started reading another webcomic. This is on the Webtoons website, and it's called Suitor Armor. Uh, it's an S-U-I-T-O-R. And uh, it's really, really engaging. I'm really, really liking it. It's uh, basically about a, a lady-in-waiting. Her name's Lucia, and uh, she's to kind of uh she takes care of the princess who's going to be married off to the new king and stuff like that but she was actually adopted by the princess's father uh and she she was brought to the kingdom one night like one stormy night um and she's actually a fairy um and they they have to hide her wings because apparently there's a a war with the fairy folk and um, so she she grows up and her and like the princess are like best friends. And uh, one day they go to a tournament and uh, because it's in celebration of the, the marriage that's coming. And the um, the king calls forth his uh, sorcerer and he's just like, yeah, you're working on a project for me. So let's see it. And the sorcerer summons a big evil suit of armor that's sentient and uh, they have it fights the champion of the realm and it beats the crap out of him and uh it's supposed to be this emotionalist like weapon and whoever wins the tournament is given like a rose to give to anybody you know a declaration of love and they're like well don't give it the rose because it's not a real thing but uh, the king's just like do it anyway it'll be funny and um they do it and it goes to Lucia and gives her the rose and she's the only person that doesn't fear it. Um, and so there's kind of a weird kind of mystery because the sorcerer also seems to have feelings for Lucia and it makes you wonder like, is the sorcerer animating the suit of armor with his spirit? And it's like, ah, maybe not. Maybe the suit of armor is sentient in its own right, but it could be responding because she's actually a magical person in hiding. So there's a, just a lot of like interesting, like mix of romance, mix of comedy, um, mix of fantasy. Uh, there's a, a, a fairy person infiltrates the castle and uh, there is a war going on. So they're developing that story. One of the things I like is that the, Knight that the the champion uh, that the suit of armor defeated, um, they they kind of telegraph it pretty early on. But his his uh, squire is like really really concerned about him, and you're just like yeah you guys you guys together, and they they confirm that later on, and they uh, one of them wants to keep it a secret, and Lucy is just like 
all good. I got, I know what that's like for people that want to murder you because of who you are. Um, and the suit of armor starts to gain intelligence, like it can speak, and nobody thought it could speak. And it refuses to tell its creator. So there's there's this sub level of um, identity and um, acceptance going on in the story as well. Um, so only at chapter 16, let's see, it started, I think, in September. And um, I really should have written down the name of the creator. So I'm going to just kind of scroll down really quick and tell you that. I'm stalling for time here. Here we go. Uh, the Purpa. P-U-R-P-A-H. There's a lot of web comics where they just kind of have these names that are just like, I don't want to tell you my real name. Right. Um, there was one I was reading, and I think his name was Good Boy yes. <laughs> or something like that. There was one I was okay. reading, and their name was like The Cow with a K. And it's just like, okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, on the webtoons.com, and it's Sutor Armor. And you can also get the app for your phone. I read stuff on webtoons on my phone. Ah, nice. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Updates every Friday. <laughs> thank you chris well that is book report and that is our show the perfect bound podcast is brought to you by the panel jumper see everything cole hornaday and i do at the panel jumper.com and check out uh <laughs> this is where i always get screwed because so many things have changed um before we go before i give you the rest of the bona fides chris and nicole why don't you tell us about the podcast that you do yeah it's, it's called uh we should write that down which is advice that we don't even take ourselves Nope. Um, and it's basically as as we chat uh, to keep ourselves sane, because uh, at the store, we always used to just basically come up with our own fan fictions and then we never remember them ever. Um, so the this is us being like, OK, well, this is kind of our, our therapy time together. And uh, it's also just kind of like, well, let's see what kind of weird stuff we could come up with. Yeah. And also, you know, talk about smut and uh, robots. Because I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we should write this down. Uh, it's uh, We've got it up on SoundCloud. Um, you can check it out through, like, my website, trustyhenchman.com. Um, or you can on Spotify and iTunes. So. Yeah. And uh, I also share it up on my Patreon as well. Indeed. And that is how you get my newsletters. Which so are very, trust- very informative. Yes. So go to trustyhenchman.com for all that. Subscribe to the Perfect Bound Podcast at perfectboundpodcast.com uh, via Apple Podcasts or any other way you get your podcasts, including Spotify and TuneIn and uh, all the other ones. And send us an email, perfectboundpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you again, friends. And uh, we will see you. Thank you for listening. We will see you next time.